0: Freemasonry in the United States has some really amazing history. I would argue that Masonic history on the East Coast, though, is really where it's at. We're going to be talking about a star in the East Lodge, new Bedford, Massachusetts this evening, and we have a couple brothers on that are going to walk us through the amazing history of that very lodge. So stick with us because we have an awesome episode lined up for you right after this on Historical Light. Welcome back to the Historic Light Masonic Podcast, dedicated to illuminate our past and bring our Masonic history to light since 2016. And now,
1: enjoy the show.
0: Greetings and welcome back to Historical Light, an independent Masonic show focused on the historical events and aspects within Freemasonry. I am your host, brother Alex Powers. Uh, This is Historical Light. I want to welcome you all back. Thank you everyone for joining in live and straight out the gate. I want to send a thank you over to Brother Maddox uh, for shooting us some stars and helping support the show. We've got a couple amazing brothers on the show this evening. They're going to walk us through some really cool history. Uh, Brother Adam and Brother Brian, I want to pass it over to you guys, if you wouldn't mind, to more properly introduce yourselves. Uh, Brother Brian, let's start with you.
2: Hi, I'm uh, Brother Brian Matthew Fernandez. I'm uh, currently the Senior Warden at Star and East Lodge. Uh, And since 2015, I became a Mason in
1: 2015. Thank you for having me, Alex.
0: My pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. Hey, Brother Adam, how you doing?
1: I'm very good. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, My name is Adam Pimentel. I am the current Worshipful Master of Star and East Lodge here in New Bedford. And uh, I joined Maine Masonry in uh, 2013. And uh, it's been a great ride so far.
0: That is fantastic. So I want to apologize to everyone. I, I think you saw me uh, doing some lift movements with no audio there in the beginning. I did forget to hit that stupid button. Historical light has our own history of everything. I've said it a hundred times. It is a history of technical difficulties. So we'll get there, <laughs> but I want, to, uh, I want to give a thanks to you guys right off the bat because you're joining us from the actual lodge, uh, which is stunning, just to see it from this perspective. Uh, So very, very cool. I know you guys were kind of moving the camera around before and showing it's a huge lodge room and we can see how beautiful it is. So I can't wait to hear about uh, the history of this place.
1: Yeah, it is a beautiful lodge room. It's actually, we have two lodge rooms. We have an Egyptian room downstairs and we are in our second floor lodge room, which is in the uh, Tuscan uh, style.
0: That is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, before we dive into the meat and potatoes of that, we like to usually start off by, uh, doing some icebreakers and getting to know you guys, uh, personally, uh, before we really dive into the topic, this eating. So one of the questions we kind of start off with is what brought you to Freemasonry personally Brother Adam, how about you? What, what is it that got you to notice Freemasonry and want to join in the first place?
1: Yeah. So for me, it's a family connection. Um, my, grandfather and my uncle on my mother's side were both Masons. Uh, My grandfather joined when he was a little older and uh, not long after he brought in my uncle. And in 2013, uh, I had just moved back from Massachusetts where I was, I was living in New Jersey and being back in, uh, back in town. Uh, my uncle asked me if I was interested in joining. And so I said, sure. I'd always known that my grandfather was a Mason from the magazines that were in the house um, and other things and his diploma, uh, but he never really talked about it. And so when I had this chance, I jumped at it and it's been great.
0: That's fantastic. Uh, Brother Brian, what about you? What is it that really made you notice Freemasonry and want to become a member well, when when I was younger,
2: you know, I had an interest in a lot of, uh, you know, different things. And one of them, you know, masonry kind of picked picked my interest a little bit when I was in the Marine Corps uh, when I was about 20 years old. And uh, but then I got out of the Marine Corps and I actually live only a couple of blocks from the lodge room. And, you know, I would drive by this building and I didn't know how to get in here. I was like, I didn't know. I, I didn't think I could become a mason. You know what I mean? I didn't know anybody who had been a mason. I had no masons in my family. It's. So something i work on strongly now is to kind of make sure people know our doors are open because of it so i lost you know 30 years of masonry because it wasn't until i turned 50 um that you know i started thinking like okay i'm 50 years old there's a bunch of stuff i always wanted to do and i never did it it took up playing the right. guitar and different things and one of them was to become a mason so i i'd mentioned this to a friend of mine at my church and they said oh you know, you know bob lindell's a, a mason and so he came bob came to me and said oh i can get you into masonry and Um, so the reason I joined was so completely for a social aspect. I was uh, introverted and it was my son actually that inspired me. He was like, he'd go into a room and just light up the, he would like make friends immediately and stuff like that. I wanted to expand my, you know, my social network, get out of my comfort zone. And so that's why I decided, okay, I'm going to join Masonry. And so, um, but now that I've joined, you know, I've, I mean, I love the social aspect, but I'm I've just totally embraced everything about masonry. I come from four generations of spe- of operative masons, and so oh, interesting. Okay, yeah. So yeah, my great grandfather, my grandfather, my father, and I still run our small uh, family construction company. So, um, so cool. I I love the operative and the speculative uh, together.
0: Very nice. So, I- I'm interested. So, you guys got kind of attracted to Freemasonry, got your uh, got into the doors, got your feet wet. What's kept you around?
1: Well, you know, I think like so many people talk about you—you you enjoy the Freemasonry part, yeah. But for me to be able to hang out with brothers like Brian, so many of the other guys in the lodge, have made so many great friends um, and people I wouldn't have met before. That I think is is the real motivation to come back much more than once a month um, right. as, as an officer. You know, this is the fourth time I've seen Brian this week. <laughs> so it's really the people.
0: That's awesome. What about you, brother Brian?
2: Yeah, I would, you know, I expand on that little, the same. I mean, it's it really is the people that I love being with here, but you know, um, I've made some great friends and and, and I would, you know, I definitely, you know, glad that they're a part of my life and everything like that. But, but something else, struck me with masonry too is you know like i i came here for like completely the social interaction but then once i uh heard the ritual and read the ritual i've really you know i didn't i thought my life was good before i came to masonry so i really wasn't looking for any type of you know growth experience or anything like that but i found it here in masonry and and so i've really kind of taken a pretty deep dive into the ritual and you know, how I can apply it in my life and make my life more fulfilled and stuff like that. So, so I'm, I'm really, um, you know, focused on that part of masonry. um, Because a lot of the other aspects of masonry I can get from other sources. Um, But uh, yeah, that's definitely those two things, you know, the 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 ritual and, and and the friends.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. That's, that's a great point. Uh, You know, brother Adam, one of the aspects you brought up was kind of meeting people that you wouldn't otherwise meet. And I mean, that struck me because I I'm one of those guys that I'd say probably 85% of the people that I talk to on a regular basis outside of like coworkers and stuff, it's all Masons. And I look at, man, probably good 90% of these guys. I would, I've never crossed their paths if it wasn't for Masonry. And to think how sad that would be um, to not have those connections. So yeah, there's, there's definitely something beautiful there.
1: Yeah, that's so true. And especially in the world now where so much is done online, uh, we were talking before, I work from home exclusively now. And if I was just coming out of college and right. getting into the job market and working from home, who are the people you're interacting with? Mm-hmm. You know, are, are you going out and spending your time in bar rooms or? you know, the gym and you can, you know, those can be great or good places uh, to spend your time, but it's not going to be the same as being in a place where you have a wide range of people um, and good people. And so uh, I think Freemasonry might actually re I mean, I know it's a great place for people right now because we're so much more or we can be so much more insulated. And being in a lodge room, uh, you just get such exposure to so many people. It's fantastic,
0: right? Most definitely. Yeah. Beautifully put. All right, guys, I am stoked uh, to jump in and learn about this amazing lodge right behind you guys. Before we do that, I do want to give a huge thanks to all of our Patreon supporters, uh, everyone that has helped support the show. We've been around since 2016, and we're supported by viewers like you to help us keep on the air, pay for everything, the hosting, the equipment, and to, to grow and bring the message of Masonic history Uh, to more and more every week. So if you like what we do here, you can jump over to the website, storkalite.com, and you can support through Patreon and get some of those amazing perks on the different levels. We got the exclusive lapel pin design, and of course, the ambassador uh, breast jewel as well that you can get a hold of. So to all of our Patreon supporters, thank you so much. We dearly, dearly appreciate you guys. All right, guys, let's nerd out on some history. Mm -hmm. So I'm staring at this lodge behind you guys. One question jumping to mind, uh, I think brother Brian mentioned it in the opening here is we struggle in our modern day with people not really knowing about Freemasonry. So I've got to ask with a lodge, with a temple this big, do you guys struggle as many of we do uh, with people not really knowing you're there or how to get involved?
1: Yeah, do you want to answer brian or well yeah you know, we can
0: both <laughs>
2: answer this i think i will share a recent so we adam and i have really tried you know in, in our leadership positions now to like change that and make sure that people know the doors are open so <clears throat> we have a, a thing in the city called aha night which is arts and uh uh supporting the art community because we have a lot of art uh galleries here in downtown and where all the businesses banks and they stay open one night a week and they put artwork up around the, you know, around the bank, different, and we, they, uh, highlight different artists. And so we did that. So we had a lot of people coming through. We've had the preservation society come through on their, They have a thing where they visit some historical homes on Christmas. So we let them come through during Christmas. We also, um, but part of the aha night, the thing that was great right next door is, uh, is a, a courthouse where some people may know the story of Lizzie Borden. So she was tried and she killed her mother uh, and father with the ax, it's the whole story. But um, she was tried next door. And there was a woman who worked in that courthouse for 50 years and she had, as part of a high night, she came in to view the artwork and she was like, I had never been in this building. I thought there was like crazy stuff going on in here. It's like, she, it, she said, you have totally changed my image of Freemasonry and, you know, and what it's about. So, and I, and for a lot of years, I didn't know how to get in here, so. But there's a lot of people who don't. There's a hidden gem in the city and we're right in the downtown, you know, but we're trying to change that.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I think that's uh, honestly a common problem. So mm-hmm. obviously we're a little bit of a different situation uh, out here in Gardner. Uh but in our small town, the Masonic Temple's a big, prominent building. It's got Masonic Temple right over the top. And, you know, obviously it, it used to probably be more well-known than today. I think a lot of people think it's it's abandoned and no longer used. Uh, but one of these funny slash disappointing stories I've told is when I first uh, transferred out here to Gardner, uh, I was going through doing kind of a cleaning day, dusting, washing windows and all this. And um, our prep room is directly over the main intersection. And I kind of went over and just pulled open the, uh, the drapes and there's a car sitting at the red light. And I looked down and there's two young girls in the back seat that just happened to look up and just started screaming. <laughs> like I could tell they thought I was a ghost. Yeah, It's yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. that's not good. We have work to do.
1: <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. You know, when I joined and it was telling people and they said, Oh, where's the Masonic lodge in Bedford? And I said, it's on the, corner of county and union street it's downtown it's it's an intersection that anyone who's ever lived in new bedford has gone by and they just didn't know and it's it's really a shame you know we've been here since 1927 and i think it's just become such a fixture that people don't really
0: notice Mm -hmm. It's amazing how, especially something so large, just right under your nose, can almost disappear. (laughs) It's there, but it's not. So I'm I'm really interested. How did this lodge story come about?
1: Well, it started in 1823, Uh, New Bedford. Our real claim to fame was that we were, you know, the, the, the quote unquote the city that lit the world. Uh, New Bedford is right on the Atlantic Ocean, and we were the major whaling port back in the 19th century. Uh, If anyone's familiar or read Moby Dick, uh, Melville starts, or the character Ishmael, starts in New Bedford and then goes on to Nantucket before starting the voyage. And so New Bedford's history really starts with the whaling industry uh whaling of course is uh, banned and outlawed now but back then it was really the petroleum industry of its time whales were you, you used to create uh, or they 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 used the oil from the whales to make candles uh industrial you know lubricants uh they use bones for other parts uh so the whaling industry was, was huge. And that is really where New Bedford made its money. Uh, at one point it was the wealthiest city in the world per capita, uh, all up and down the the main streets here are just big, beautiful homes. And it really all come, comes from the merchants who own the whale ships and the industries.
0: That's fantastic. So, yes. Obviously, from that from that perspective, uh, most of your membership probably started out of of that demographic.
1: Yeah, for sure. The the business people in New Bedford were businessmen, and they all were related in some way to the industry. It's really interesting. The whole industry required so much. You needed the people to build the ships. You needed the rope makers, you needed the the barrel makers, uh, the people to process everything. And all the different businesses sort of came together to do this one industry. Uh, And so a lot of our members, they were involved in these different uh, businesses.
2: That's
0: fantastic. Now go ahead, brother.
1: Yeah, I can
2: rewind on that a little bit and and you know a little a little bit and add on to what Adam was saying. So if we just go back a little bit, just to give some background history. So this this whole area around here was settled thousands of years ago by the Wampanoag Indians, and exactly. um, then it, then in 1602, an English explorer. So this is twenty you know 18 years before the Plymouth landed at Plymouth Rock. So 1602, uh, Bartholomew Gosnell lands in New Bedford, what is now known as it. As New Bedford, and he um, interacts with the uh, Native Americans, but he his crew doesn't want to stay, so they they leave. And um, then, obviously, twenty years later, they you know you have the Plymouth, the Pilgrims who landed at Plymouth Rock. Well, the Quakers who lived there disagreed with the Pilgrim, uh, the Puritans, about using uh, because they were pacifists. They disagreed with um, using uh, tax money to fund a military. So they left Plymouth and they settled in this area that was called Dartmouth, and it, it encompasses the city of New Bedford and four or five surrounding towns now. And so it was the Quakers who settled here first. They purchased the land uh, from the Native Americans, and um, but there were there were no Masons at the time. But then in um, 1802, a lot. This was a very strategic bay over here, as far as also in the War of uh, the Revolutionary War and the War of 1812. So there were a lot of military uh, people that were living here and they had um, received their degrees other places, but they wanted to form a lodge and they formed a lodge called Washington Remembered Lodge. And um, that only existed for about uh, 10 years until the War of 1812 decimated its membership and and it really, masonry disappeared. And then we pick up where Adam was talking about um, in the 1820 when a man named Timothy Coffin and the Coffin family is is very well known uh, on the island of Nantucket. You know they were they were very big in the whaling industry, uh, very uh, very wealthy people, and t- and he was a lawyer and he moved here to New Bedford to practice law, and uh, when he did, um, he found no lodges here. And he Timothy Coffin is the founder of our lodge, and he set out uh, with thirty five other masons. Um, to, to found star slide they met in his uh, in his house at first um, but that's kind of like the beginnings and I can go into more if you you know um, how it developed from there if you like but uh, so a lot of the fact that we have um, what Adam was talking about the abolitionist movement you know has a lot to do with the fact that Quakers settled this area um, and so it's it's really a big part of New Bedford and I think the the ideals of uh, Freemasonry go, hand in hand with the ideals of uh the quakers uh, you know uh but so that's kind of like the basis that we've led up to and then i can get i can talk about some more stuff after
0: yeah i mean uh go for it so so we've got you guys chartering in 1823 mm-hmm. give us a little bit of like so we had we had your founder and he said 35 other guys that came together was this the first building, or what, what did we see when they first uh, chartered this lodge?
1: So at first, they met, as Brian said, in someone's house. They moved into other buildings. Uh, we were in a couple different places in the city. Actually, every time they moved, they moved sort of up the hill yeah. away from the water yeah. to where we Makes are sense. now. Like I right. said, since we were uh, 1927, we've been the same place. Yeah, they had um,
2: the very first place they met was uh, so the again this was only met, known as Bedford Village at the time. This okay. was not this was not a city yet. It was it encompassed an area called Dartmouth, that, and this was just a small village. And it, it, it formed on the waterfront because of the uh, because of the whaling industry, as Adam spoke about. And so there was we didn't even have a police department. There was a thing called the Night Watch, and they would they they and above that is where the town meetings uh, would be held. And that's where the Masons, where Starn East Lodge met for the first two years. And then there was a brother who was building. So because of all the wealth that Adam was speaking about that was here, um, it was the largest concentration of wealth in the world at this time. We had the most banks in the world at the time too. So a lot of buildings, a lot of banks were being built up. And there was a brother um, from Starn East Lodge who was building a building in the banking district. And we met on their third floor. Okay. The, interest, the interesting part about that is that we have a national park here now, uh, a whaling national park, um, and part of their building is our old lodge room, which is kind of cool. And, which is, uh, that is neat. And then, and then we moved. We, we always rented, though. And then um, at one point when, the, when we had six lodges in the city at one time, um, when, lo- when Masonry started to expand and more people after the anti-Masonic period, And more people started joining. We needed a, we need our own building. And so the building we're in now, the rooms you are in now we built, but it encompasses the forward part of the building, which was a whale, a whaling merchant's house
0: originally. Okay. That's cool.
2: Okay. And then it became that's, so if you, the picture that you shared on, uh, as, as our, so the front was the house and then it, it became a rounders club. For a while, and then when they moved next door, we we bought the building and we built these lodgings on the back.
0: Um, that is that is really cool. I'm uh, trying to pull up a picture here real quick and <laughs> see if we can uh, uh, share it here so everyone can see that. But you know, I'm interested. You're talking about when they first originally met. They were meeting in somebody's uh, house. Was that I'm, I'm slipping on the name of the founder? Uh, but was that the founder's house or do you know whose house that was?
1: Yes. The the first was was a Timothy Coffin's house. Yeah. Yeah. And and there were, there's so many interesting individuals as I've gone through the history of our lodge and preparing for this uh, podcast, you know, one of the, one of the, the first people, one of the founders was uh, this man named uh, Edward Taylor, who's a, a, a minister. And, such an interesting story where he was born in uh, Virginia, uh, immediately was adopted by a foster family. And at seven years old, he ran away. He didn't just run away to like his neighbor's house. He jumped on a ship, a Spanish ship and essentially became a sailor. And he did that for a while. Eventually he ends up in Boston and, eventually becomes a minister he ends up down here in new bedford and because he spent so many years as a sailor it sort of became part of him and all his uh, sermons really used sailing uh, themes and sort of a long story short he ends up being what a lot of people consider the person who Father Maple and Moby Dick was uh, sort of based on.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. But he
1: became such a well-known and popular preacher. Uh, folks like Ralph Waldo Emerson, Walt Whitman, Charles Dickens, they all wrote about this man and how uh, such a great speaker and orator he was. And of course, being an orator back then in the you know early 1800s, that was a big deal. Of course, there was no television or radio. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, and he was one of our founding members, which is, was really neat.
0: That's awesome. So I was getting pulled up here. Uh, some of these fascinating photos.
2: Yeah.
0: So this, this is a color version of what you guys, uh, saw on the, uh, the, uh, episode art that we put out for this lodge um, which you can totally see right up front here is the original house and then it was right. added on to which is really really cool to see and i mean that's amazing because so, that that alone is a beautiful house so i'm like i'm thrilled that they kept that and the history behind it
2: it's a very good example of a lot of the houses on county street i mean again you have to think of imagine if exxon Mobil and citco and you know um, texaco were sti- were In this city today, like if these were the places where their CEOs and headquarters were, you know, this is at the time. So the front section you see that was the original house. It was wooden at the time. um, And but it's a very good example of a lot of the mansions on County Street, where most of the whaling merchants and captains lived. And then we built that back section, as you can see, uh, from 1923 to 1927, It, it was like a three year process of building one and we bricked it up because that was originally a wooden structure right. yeah
0: that is that is very cool And the, you guys and, did a lovely job of preserving that
2: yeah and the lodge room you saw in that picture is actually the lodge room from our previous uh Let me see here. Our, this one right here yeah that's the lodge room from our 100th anniversary so 19 nice. and so the, the that furniture is in what we call our appellate lodge room. we have a small a third lodge room and that furniture is still in there
0: so that is super cool. Yep. Super cool.
1: Yeah. And one of the things for us, for, for, for Brian and myself, uh, we're so much into the history yeah. and for us being in, in this lodge room since 1927, it's just so neat to think of all the people who sat in these yep. chairs. Right. Um, uh, it's amazing to look back at the records. Our meeting minutes were handwritten, uh, you know, we have them going all the way back to the founding. So 1823, just going through those is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the penmanship and mm-hmm. all the names in our bylaws and those early members, they're all names of the streets here in New Bedford. Mm-hmm. They're the names of That's the awesome. the parks and, and the, the buildings yeah. and the schools. Yeah. And to be a part of that line is just really neat for us.
2: It's kind of like you were saying early funny story, but bad story. When the girls saw you, you know, that's yeah. a good, that's a good story. And for me, it's like, why, why aren't we that uh, intricate, a part of the community today? And that's something me and Adam are working really hard to do because, you know, one of the members of our lodge, he's in private practice now. But when I joined, he was the, CEO, uh, the chief of staff at the hospital. I mean, you know, we still are people of this community that serve, you know, important roles some of the members of our, you know, the, uh, the council, you know, the, the city council and stuff. So it's like, I, you know, I, I just, but back then they were more, um, you know, connected to the community as Freemasons, you know?
0: Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I think the pace of life has obviously changed Mm. so much, uh, throughout the years and, and the faster things go, the less we stop to look around. And I think even Mm. with these massive prominent buildings like you're sitting in uh they just oddly disappear uh to the modern community Mm -hmm. um but luckily with guys like you we can we can take measures to not only preserve that but try to re-infiltrate the community as well i'm thrilled to hear that you guys have all of your records going back to the uh to the start of your lodge. You'd be surprised how many lodges we talk to that are much, you know, shorter lived than yours. Uh, They don't have a third of their records left uh, for various reasons throughout the years, but that that's amazing.
1: Yeah. We're very lucky in that way. Yeah.
0: Uh, So we got brother Maddox here uh, over on the Facebook side, asking if there is a picture of the cornerstone. Do you know if there's one on Google?
1: You know, I don't even know if this building has, like a proper Masonic cornerstone right. um, with anything like the date on it, the house that, uh, that you pulled up that, that black and white picture, it originally had a big porch in the front. So I don't know if maybe that would have had it and we lost it when the, right.
0: uh, when it was bricked over that the, that's yeah, a good yeah. point very well could have been. Um, yeah. I, almo- I almost wonder since, you know, that was, an existing original house if maybe there would have been a cornerstone added to uh the add-on portion of the building but it's it's hard to say you know i know like uh here in gardner which i feels like less heard of but if it happened here it happens other places uh we had a building previous to the one we're in now and then they built this one a brick structure and it was big prominent at the time uh but one Mm -hmm. One thing or another came up, and they had a, uh, a ceremony scheduled at the Grand Lodge to set a cornerstone, and it got rescheduled. And then that rescheduled date got rescheduled, and just never happened. And we don't have a cornerstone. There was never yeah. a ceremony. I but, don't believe we
2: do either. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. Not a formal one.
1: Um, what we do have is a time capsule from 1923 <laughs> yeah. that we plan on opening in the next couple of months. So we're celebrating our 200th anniversary this mm-hmm. year and as one of our brothers was going through uh, the basement where we keep lots of records, he found this dusty copper box, wiped it off a little bit, and lo and behold, it was a time capsule that they had sealed up in 1923. The original plan, which it, it has spelled out on the box, was for it to be open in 75 years. Well time and, you know, <laughs> you yeah. throwing stuff <laughs> in the, in, in the basement. They forgot about it, but uh, we were lucky enough to find it. And we said, well, this is great because we're celebrating 200 years now. So their loss is our gain. And so uh, we're really looking forward to opening. That's
0: pretty cool. Yeah. I yeah. Make sure you guys keep in touch. We, well, actually, if you don't mind, I would love to do a follow-up episode on that and kind of cover some of the sure. things you find because Opening in the 1830s and expecting it to be open in 75 years, here you are this many years later. I am, man, I'm thrilled to find out or hear what you guys find within that box. It's going to be some cool stuff.
1: Yeah,
2: absolutely. Uh, Another cool aspect of our, uh, which has now become the history of our lodge is, so as I told you at one time, there were six lodges in New Bedford and we've absorbed two of them into our body, Pascomanset Lodge and uh, Wamsutta Lodge. Wamsutter well, Lodge has a very interesting history. I don't know the exact year. I think it was like 1949 or something like that. But it, it was specifically a lodge for Jewish men, and it was because of the anti-Semitism after World War II they formed. And um, for years they only had Jewish masters and Jewish uh, uh, members. But you know they ended up, you know, getting you know members of all types. But it was formed basis on, you know, of, of a Jewish lodge, and then we were absorbed into. Uh, they were absorbed into our lodge in uh, like 95 um one of their great um, champions that they have was the fact in you know in the lifetime of members who are still members of our lodge is uh they the, the master of their lodge who's a member of our lodge gus cody and still alive he's 90. and um he merged the prince hall lodge and uh, he was the first to recognize prince hall lodges in massachusetts and they had the grandmaster in this room, the Grand Master of Masons and the Grand Master of uh, Prince Hall uh, here, met in this room and, and for the first time. So that's another wow. thing we're proud of. You know, uh, New Bedford has a long history of, uh, of uh, abolition. And I think it's because, again, ties into the whaling industry, because we had so many immigrants here of different... The city has been really welcoming to different waves of immigrants right. that have come here at different times. On Portuguese. There was a big Portuguese. Uh, movement here because uh, of fishermen and so um we've done a really great job of that you know and being a safe place for abolitionists and so like that. and so the fact that freemasonry merged with prince hall um here in new bedford is is fitting as well
0: yeah that's that's so cool to hear that ceremony happened there that's that's <laughs> really neat uh you know being here in the uh kansas city area we're able to kind of connect on that with the abolitionist movement we Got all the history with John Brown and everything else all around yeah. us here. Yeah, um, so really, really fascinating times. Tell us a little bit about that uh, section of history in connection to the lodge.
1: Yeah, so as Brian, we talked about the Quakers uh, and, and their relationship to the beginnings of New Bedford. You know, they believed, like we believe, that sort of all men are created equal. Definitely, right? We're we're all. Sons or in, in daughters of the Great Creator, and so that persisted until the times of uh, you know the early eighteen hundreds. And New Bedford was a really strong uh, abolitionist city. We had uh, we were a stop on the Underground Railroad, and it's interesting. You know, the Underground Railroad you get the image of people traveling across land because we are a port, a lot of the escaped slaves who were coming here were getting here by ship. As a matter of fact, the most famous is Frederick Douglass. New Bedford was the first place where he lived as a free man. And he was actually employed by a member of Star in the East Lost uh, who had a foundry. so he worked for a, a brother called Anthony Richmond. But again, with that, that abolitionist abolitionist um, thread through the city uh, really made us uh, a, a big spot on the Underground Railroad. We had, it, it, Brian has done a walking tour of the, the downtown area. And one of the stops is a, is a place that has a plaque where there's a piece of what was called the Liberty Bell. And this bell would ring when, uh, you know, the slave catchers were coming into the city to look for these people who, who were here.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so someone in the city would ring the bell and let everyone know, you know, take cover or, you know, be on the lookout for these, these slave catchers who were trying to take people back.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And and again, like Brian was talking about, with New Bedford being a place that has welcomed a lot of people, it starts from you know back then. Um, and part of it, as it relates to the to whaling industry, was it's a tough industry. And so you would take anyone, and you would respect anyone who's doing that work, because it was so dangerous, it was so hard. Um, and so it didn't matter what you looked like, where you came from. If you were willing to do that, uh, they would accept you. And a lot of the the merchants were of the of that class, the from the Quakers. So it all merged together and mixed in with Freemasonry uh, in a real sort of cohesive way. Right,
2: and a Masonic connection to Adam's story too is Frederick Douglass. Uh, people may know that he was the first African-American that was ever appointed to a uh, position in the federal government. And he was appointed by uh, brother, James Garfield, um, you know, who was president of the United States at the time, unfortunately assassinated during his time. But, um, and also the first mayor of uh, New Bedford uh, was uh, not a member of our lodge, but uh, Eureka Lodge, which is, was the second oldest. They've now been absorbed into another lodge. His son was also the 14th mayor, who was Grand Master of Masons in Massachusetts at one time. So, um, yeah, so, uh, you know, a lot of and um, also as far as the slave uh, mention goes, like uh, Adam was talking about, the largest slave revolt in history, the Pearl, which happened in Washington, D.C. 67 slaves uh, uh, tried to escape on the Pearl. The captain of that ship, Daniel Drayton, uh, because he was arrested and thrown in jail and beaten, he, he came to New Bedford because he wasn't from here, but it was a safe place for him. And he died here in New Bedford, and is buried here in New Bedford. So um, lots of uh, really proud history of, of this city Bedford. again, not just the whaling industry, but, the, but the, you know, the way that New Bedford has adapted. And it's still relevant today um, to different waves of migration and, and all living uh, peacefully in the city together and cohabitating. It, it's really a great story.
0: Oh, 100%. You know, I, I'm sitting here thinking about as we, we go through the history of so many different Masonic lodges, especially throughout the U.S., every lodge has kind of their story. Mm-hmm. But your guys' lodge has like so many different stories that really come in. And it's amazing to hear. I mean, it's it sounds like we're talking about 25 different lodges here, <laughs> but your lodge just has all these beautiful angles uh, to make it what it is. And that's really making me wonder, which we touched on slightly, your lodges history, the records and everything. So you guys have mentioned that you still have the records going all the way back. Um, have you guys taken any initiative to digitize those or you know, preserve those in a manner to, to make sure that that history is there for years to come? We've
1: talked about it. And I know you had a, a, an episode recently about digitizing all this stuff. We haven't started doing that yet. I have taken some of the old minute books home and trying to read them. Some of it is really hard with the handwriting. Definitely. Um, And, you know, I can't try and I can't transcribe it word for word. But what I do is if I read something that is of interest, I'll write it down. I'll make a note of the day, um, which book it's in. In this way, we have, you know, a little bit of a electronic history right. uh, also makes it searchable. So if mm-hmm. I wanted to search for Timothy Coffin, you know, I can go back and and search that document uh, for anywhere, you know, he's mentioned. Yeah, uh, it is something that we
2: really ought to do. Absolutely. You know, and, and I don't you know, I don't know what the situation was. Adam and I have only been here since 2013, 2015. Um, you know, I don't know what the mood of the brethren were back then, but, you know, we, Adam and I definitely have, like, we've talked about, we have to preserve these artifacts. We have to like, you know, uh, properly protect them. We have some portraits here that I'm sure are worth a lot of money. We have, uh, we have an apron from 1824, you know, wow. here. And so, but a, a lot of the stuff in the, we found this in places that really shouldn't be stored in places that it really, you know, That's and, and so we know that it's something we're addressing and it's something that has to be done. And, and hopefully now that we have, uh, you know, our, our, uh, lodges expanding recently and we have, you know, more involved brothers that we can all come together and preserve the strength. I know there was some times, you know, that the lodge was struggling and maybe that wasn't where their focus was, but it's definitely now I think a time where the lodge is vibrant and if we're going to, we got to do it now, you know, um,
0: well, to, to put your mind at ease a little bit, that it's not an uncommon story. I I'd, mm-hmm. I'd say the mass majority of lodges are in that position. And, you know, as we, have we've talked about not knowing where the brethren were thinking about that in the past, one thing we have to consider, uh, when we're looking at historical preservation is for one, the aspect that you saw your original building was wood and they bricked it up. Well, for one many lodges did that as a as a stance of preservation because those wood buildings were prone to fire from drying out yada yada by bricking them they called it fireproof back in those days right um really historical preservation until just literally the last couple decades has been just get it all we got it here it's safe you know, get it in some kind of a, a concrete building, it's safe. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we did a uh, episode with uh, our grand archivist here in Kansas some years back, and he was telling me kind of the same stories of, you know, they got their big brick building, it was fireproof, and they've got artifacts and documents from all over the, uh, the jurisdiction. And at one point, the, uh, the Grand Lodge had decided it was safest to get all the charters back. Uh, They wanted all the original charters. So the mass majority of charters you see in Kansas in lodges today are official reproductions from that time. They made reproductions, sent those out. All the original charters were to be safe in the Grand Lodge. And sad story. I was told is uh, they found these in a roll top desk that had just kind of been shoved in there all over the years. Oh, yeah. You know, because that was that was a thing. Just just get them all, get them all. Yep. And over years, you got them, you got them, and uh, they they end up getting stored in you know positions and ways that are unsuitable. Um, but that's where we come in today's age, and it's it's wonderful to see brothers like you. Even though we've only been here since 2013 or so, the means that we have to preserve and now digitize these documents it's it's night and day from the task in their time In their time it was literally just get it well now you've got it and thankfully because of them they did that task we have it it could entirely be lost now we just have to find those ways uh, to better preserve it you know one aspect i'd bring up i guess i'll throw in a plug too because here in kansas uh, kansas Lodge research which i'm part of we started making digitizing kits that we sent out to lodges across the state that have everything they need in there to to do this very work and I had the honor of doing a presentation for the Massachusetts Lodge research uh, not too long ago, just a few months back. And I know they were in the process. They approved it and they were building one of those very kits. So you might reach nice. out to them and they should have uh, that equipment we'll be working on it. So that'd be a <laughs> yeah. good connection for you. Because one yeah. thing like you were talking about, some of those pages are really hard to read. Mm-hmm. I went through that as well. Uh i'm sure you guys know there's some secretaries that you're like i love this guy everything's so crisp and clear yep. and perfect handwriting and then the next year like i hate this guy i don't know a damn thing that happened the entire year <laughs> yep. uh, and then you do you hit those pages where because of those days the ink was hand mixed right so when they show up to lodge and they barely got ink what did they do they put some water in it and shook it up and you got this mm-hmm. ink that's just barely on the page um by scanning it in, you'd be surprised because you can tweak those levels of how you view it. You're able to read that oftentimes much better digitally than you are on that page. So getting that digital image not only secures it moving forward, but it can even make it easier for you to read.
1: Yeah, it's interesting reading those minutes and seeing when someone else's handwriting starts. You're like, oh man, who is this? pro tem secretary for this meeting. Right. Like I can't read it. It's almost like another language because everyone's handwriting was so unique. Um, aside from the, the cursive being very different than it is now. Sure. Every time that secretary changes, I almost have to say, okay, how does this person make their S and how does this person make their yeah. T versus an F? Because it, it it just becomes so much harder to read when you're almost deciphering it from one meeting to the next. And so, yeah, there there are definitely some secretaries. I'm like, oh, this is fantastic. It's great. And then, you know, at the end of the year, they vote on another secretary. And it's like, yeah. oh, no.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely went through that with... Uh- with my lodge when I was going through, we wrote the history book and I was getting all that stuff digitized as we go. And uh, my wife heard me praising guys and cussing guys as I was going through yeah, and trying to, yeah, you know, document yeah. for a year. I'm like, I don't know what happened. And it, you know, you're scanning it and playing with the lighting and just trying to make out those words and it's it's amazing.
1: We do have more recent records and meeting minutes that were typed out and I haven't gotten there yet. I've I've started from the, from the beginning. So right. I'm not there yet where they're typed out. And even though that might be a little easier, I feel like it loses something. <laughs> Having those yeah. minutes and those words coming directly from someone's hands, it's, it's different. You're connected to it in a different way. Um, and so although sometimes it's painful, it's really enjoyable and, and rewarding.
2: Yeah, I
0: don't think no.
1: you get the... Yeah.
0: No, no, go ahead, brother.
1: No, I think looking I I haven't
2: viewed them. Adam Adam has been kind of the archivist on that for but I but hearing you guys talk about it, I can imagine, you know, you see printed word every day, but I can imagine like looking at something, a document, you know, from eighteen twenty three or something like that, and just thinking like the human being that wrote this, like he he could have been a whaleship captain or uh right, you know, or or the mayor or the, you know, uh just a such an important figure in our history you know uh of the time and just it's uh just to to look at that and say i'm you know i'm touching the same book that this you know i went i went to visit portugal where my grandfather was from and you know we went to the church and we saw the book where his baptismal records were and just to see that from uh, 1890 and it was like so i can imagine you know it's just it it must be grand
0: yeah it you know it like like you're saying with, with the switching over to type It's it's almost like you lose something and it's, it's definitely 100% a double-edged sword in my Mm -hmm. opinion, because while it's nicer for at least today items like OCR searchable content, like when we digitize those, like you were mentioning, that's a huge part of what we're doing here is, uh, I mean, that's, it's a game changer for Masonic research. Instead of having to read page by page to be able to just like keyword search uh, a document or even a group of documents. uh, It connects dots like never before, but that handwriting brings that, that personal aspect. I mean, we see with any kind of generic history, uh, as human beings, we freak out over signatures. Oh, that's the Mm -hmm. signature of Mm so-and-so in masonry. You know, our minutes are a weird animal because at face value, they're like some of the most boring, mundane <laughs> documents ever. It's like the yeah. minutes, really. We don't want to hear those. You think, I mean, they're I do. historical documents. That's that's yeah. what they are. They're historical record. And while they are boring and mundane, for those that understand them and know the flow of them, we can pick up on those levels of personality. Uh, like Brother Adam was saying, picking up on the different way they were writing or whatever, Also like mannerisms, you know, one secretary talks about things a little differently or the flow of it. And when you really sit there and break down year to year, you can kind of tell the personality, the lodge a bit different as well. Uh, it's, it's really neat. I mean, besides just the signature, we're talking about core founding members of our communities and to be holding a book, like you said, brother, that they were holding to be looking at an entire page Mm -hmm. that they sat there that night and wrote out, um, is quite amazing. Uh funny story from when I was, you know, working on those for the book we wrote, I can't remember when it was late 1800s. We get to a random page and mind you, I mean, this is like 120 years old at the time, flip a page and there's a fly smashed in there. And it's like, <laughs> oh, holy crap, that thing's been so there for a hundred like, year 100 years. <laughs> exactly. But then you instantly get this yeah. like mental visual of that meeting night, there's no air conditioning. They're on the top floor of this yeah. wood, hot structure. They're they're probably pissed off arguing about something and there's that fly and just smash. So I preserved it, I just, I didn't take the fly off. I scanned it and it's still there. <laughs> it's part <laughs> of history, right? But you do, you get that unique level of, of personality of your lodge in those, in those time periods. And I think that's a beautiful aspect to have.
1: Well, I hope the person who smashed the fly Thought, oh, this will be really fun for someone in a hundred years. exactly. Come across this. I'm sure
2: Adam has seen a lot of them, but the one for the minutes, I know they are boring things, but you you never know what that piece is going to be. I had to reach out to Adam one time because I I put together a, a tour of the cemetery. I found that all the famous masons from around here were buried in the same cemetery. So I did a tour of it. And as I was walking through looking for the gravestones, we came across this one stone. And it was said, Reverend Isaac Sabin House, uh, this stone was erected by the brethren of Starnies Lodge. And I'm like, hmm, oh, let, wow. I want to I want to find out about this guy, you know. And so it, it showed his death date. And so I asked Adam to, to research the minutes and he found, you know, where, uh, you know, one of our um, past masters, you know, it, he had that our member brother house had passed away and to reach out to the widow house and see if she needed anything. And then. It shows them voting on erecting a stone for him uh and his daughter and and then when i found out who this guy was i started to reach for him and he was a pretty incredible guy but um it's just you know i would have never known his story um other than this little printing guy if, if we didn't have those minutes we would have never found out who this guy was and and he's a very interesting uh character but um uh, uh who died very young and tragically but it's a. Uh, you know, that's just one thing how those minutes can be so important, you know what I mean? To it's it's I'm sure it's like to the city of New Bedford, you know, it I bet there's a a history of the last 200 years of New Bedford in those books, you know what I mean? In a lot yeah. of ways.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it it's it's one of those aspects. So like with large research here, we're telling everybody to digitize. And the the first question is, we've got so much crap. What do we digitize? Just the minute books, just the Tyler's like what? And as much of a pain as it is, I always tell them because we put everything in these kits. We're like, if you can digitize everything, because I'd rather have rando files to delete than to not have something and never knew it existed. So a lot of people, most lodges have like file cabinets and and different letters from over the years and stuff like that. A lot of it's just old letters. It's junk. And some of it may be. Um, but you never know when there's a dot within one of those letters, that's going to connect a whole bit of history. And as we are able to get these scanned in and we got that OCR, uh, that is working. So one thing we're doing here with our archive digitally is everything that gets scanned in is OCR. So now instead of having to read page by page, we can search a document, but instead of just searching a document, we can go to the head of the database and just search a keyword term. And anything connected to that's going to come up. So then you think about when we get our entire state digitized, the entire country digitized, we'll be able to do Masonic research from a guy in Kansas that oh he was in Star in the East Lodge this date. Wow! How would I have ever known that? So just you know stressing the importance of of getting those scanned in for those guys fifty years past your time uh, mm-hmm. because those pages unfortunately don't last forever.
1: Yeah, and you know to that point if we can digitize the whole country, like you said, uh, was reading the minutes and in New Bedford being a a port town in a city with lots of going on, we had lots of visitors visitors, and you see these people coming and visiting from all over the place. Uh, and, and you just think, how much do they have to go through, and what was that journey like for them to get here in, you know, eighteen thirty? There was uh, one visitor we had from, I think, it was California Lodge Number One, and this lodge I believe still exists in San Francisco. And to come all that way, back then, yeah, it's just mind blowing yeah. to, to to King Kamehameha. S- yeah, so. King Kamehameha was here in New Bedford. uh, I think our our commandery at an Irem. And uh, yeah, so he visited uh, in one of his visits to the state. But it's just amazing to me when we see people from all over the world here in New Bedford uh, recorded in our minutes. And it's just really neat.
0: No, that is amazing. I mean to think about someone coming clear across the country, like they didn't catch in a, a cross country red eye. Like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, yeah. In those days, that was quite the journey to undergo. Very, right. very impressive. Yeah. It's really neat. And
2: we still are an international city. Like Adams, you make a great point, Adam, you know, the transient nature of this city, which is, you know, talked about in Moby Dick, you know, but we are still the largest fishing port in the world, um, by dollar. And, uh, we, we, For years, we're both in catch and dollar. But um, so, yeah, we're still a very international city. A lot of people still come through here. The National Park, the Whaling Museum, um, people come from all over the world to visit that.
1: And, uh, but. uh, And actually now we're leaning into a a new energy source with wind. Yes. Uh, Offshore wind specifically. Uh, New Bedford is is really getting on top of that. with some of our new infrastructure and new businesses starting here, so that's we've, fantastic. We've been really constantly evolving since you know the 1800s. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I think it's beautiful to you know sit here and hear about all these different personalities of Star in the East Lodge that have came together to really evolve into what you have today, and then to hear how it's not done; it's it's still growing. It's still evolving into the future uh, thanks to gents like yourselves so thank you guys for everything you're doing there because you've got an amazing history that's been left in the right hands it seems
1: well thanks we're certainly going to do our best and we hope the the lodge becomes much more well known and recognized by the city because we do a lot of good things the history is great But throughout our history, not just the, you know, the folks from 200 years ago, we've had a lot of people do really amazing things, and and guys are still doing that today. And, you know, we don't do it for the recognition, but we need people to know that we're still
0: here. 100%. Yeah.
1: And for those other good people who are out there, you don't have to do it by yourself you can join a group of people here in Freemasonry uh, and just sort of multiply the effect that you have on your community. Mm
0: -hmm. Beautifully said. Well put brother. Well, we are at the top of the hour. We can continue the conversation, but we always have our traditional toast at nine o'clock. Well, nine o'clock for us, a little later for you guys. (laughs) I would ask if uh, one of you brothers would be kind enough to uh, offer up a toast for us this evening.
1: Tell you. It's all you. <laughs> okay. Then I would like to propose a toast to all the brothers, wherever you are. Please keep in mind the fantastic history that we all share, and may we all do our best to create new history for the brothers to come.
2: They're here. They're here. Cheers.
0: I love the way that you worded that, brother, because I think we all too often forget what you just said the history that we all share. You know, so much do we get into my lodge, my lodge, my lodge, that we kind of forget Freemasonry as a whole. And you guys represent my Freemasonry within your community, mm-hmm. and my lodge represents your Freemasonry. In my community and vice versa all throughout the country all throughout the world uh, and it's i think it's one of those impressive things it just gives masonry that little something that keeps us all around but it's quite beautiful at the end of the day
2: absolutely yeah. especially here in this city I, I don't think there's probably very few masons that stayed here their whole life right there you know they they came from other places and they
1: and they went on to other places right you know so there's actually a passage that might put a a great bow on this. It's, uh, if I may read it, it was written during our 50th anniversary. So this was 1873. And I think it really, like I said, encapsulates New Bedford and Freemasonry. So uh, again, I'll just read it. The history of the lodge was for many years the history of Freemasonry in this town. It was a central home about whose hearth gathered not only its own members, but many visitors. In its history, the names of large numbers are entered from other places, from every New England and Middle State, from nearly everyone in the West and South, and from the Pacific Coast, from Nova Scotia, from England, from Scotland, from Ireland, from France, from Germany, from Spain, from the Sandwich Islands, from St. Helena, from Australia, from China. Names of men unused to our years, besides a long list whose lodges were not recorded. It reminds us not only how territorially broad is our institution, but how many this lodge at the gateway of the sea welcomed within its portals. It suggests to us the thought, how far the name of Star in the East has been carried. Composed very largely of hardy sailors, the adventurous sons of this port have visited the lodges of the world and everywhere found a brother's welcome. The universal language has given and received admission where the known language of the tongue would fail, and has opened the doors where workmen, nobles, and princes met on the level of a common manhood, only plat the only platform known in masonry and uh again that was in 1873 was awesome. but it still is relevant today
0: mm-hmm. yeah and Those i think- some heavy words that was Those, beautiful that was I'll Ask awesome. you a favor if you wouldn't mind to send me that after the show and i will get that in the show notes for everyone to read and enjoy because that was that was fantastic mm-hmm. yeah absolutely to be happy to Brothers, you guys have shared some amazing history this evening of Star in the East Lodge that I'm sure only touches the tip of the iceberg with such an amazing organization. I know for one, myself, I want to get back out there. I'm a huge fan of Massachusetts masonry, um, but I need to come visit this lodge in person and uh, sit where you're sitting in that lodge room because that's a pretty Same. fascinating place. So well, I would love I'm to have you. be there. I will be there. <laughs> I cannot Excellent. wait. Uh, hopefully I can, uh, explore all the nooks and crannies of that place, but, uh, any final words, final thoughts, anything else you'd like, uh, the viewers and listeners to know about Star in the East?
2: I just want to thank you for having me, Alex, and, you know, for giving us an opportunity to share our wonderful history and, uh, and culture with, uh, with all your listeners. And, um, you know, I have nothing else to say about Star in the East other than, uh, you know, like, I think what was in that. Writing the wrote and what he shared in his toast, you know, we our focus is here's to the next 200 years, you know, and creating our own history. So, um, so, but thank you for having me, and uh, I look forward to to
0: seeing you when you come up. Me as well. How about you, brother?
1: Yeah, for me, it's it's been great, and I really appreciate the chance to to be on with you, and uh, talking a little about Star in the East. We're so lucky. For people who love history, to and, and we didn't know this at the time when we joined Star in the East, that it was the oldest lodge in New Bedford, and and me personally, I get to be the one in the East when we celebrate our 200th anniversary. And you know, that it strikes me as, as being so special and I'm so grateful for it. Uh, you know, I've just been very lucky. And uh, I look forward to the the years to come in creating more history.
0: Well, brothers, thank you so much for coming on this evening. Uh, it's It's been an honor and a thrilling ride to hear about the amazing history, all the different personalities uh, that have come together throughout the years to really construct Star in the East Lodge. Um, such amazing history, definitely on my list to get up there and visit in person. Great. I want to thank you, brothers, so much for coming on and and really sharing that history with us and taking on all the tasks that you're doing to maintain it and move your lodge into the future. You're doing a fantastic job. So thank you for everything you do, brothers. Thank you, Al. Thank you. Well, thank you everybody that has tuned in live this evening. Love you guys. Appreciate the support. With that. We will see you guys in two weeks. Keep preserving the history of Freemasonry. Have a great night, everybody.